episode number 27 with Mr. Jason McCoy. I've known Jason for a very long time. I used to perform in his band for many, many years. And I went up to his house and we sat around for the afternoon and did this podcast and, and reminisced about the good old days. And Jason is a super guitar player, singer, songwriter, uh, amazing entertainer as well. And he's constantly has something on the go. Always impressed with uh, Jason. Make sure you sit back with us and we go back through his whole career and talk about life from the beginning up until now. I know you're going to really like this one. Here's Mr. Jason McCoy. Did you find... <laughs> Record. Great. Yeah. Great. I'll edit. We're getting some good shit. <laughs> Please. Yeah. I think we're done here. Out I think t- you're very done. Outtakes. <laughs> Did you find when you uh, uh, when you started doing radio that you felt you had to do <coughs> the radio voice? Yeah. Did you automatically um, get in front of the mic and feel like it was? Uh, or did you just do your? Yeah, I think thing. when I, I here's the thing when I when I started doing radio it was because I was uh, an artist and I for some reason uh, really enjoyed the interviews almost more than just promoting the records. I really enjoyed radio. So you go in and you talk to the DJs and of course you're talking about the show or the record, whatever you're promoting. But I really got into the uh, the comedy of doing, morning shows are all about the fun, right? So yeah. I really got into that and I'd spar with them kind of on a comedic level and I really kind of hit it off with a few people. So when some DJs would go on holidays uh, in different markets, I, I'd get invited to, hey, you want to sit in with the morning show when so-and-so's off or in the midday show or whatever. Yeah. So I kind of uh, I kind of got into it uh, very slowly, which which made it not a big jump, so I didn't have to put on a thing, right? Yeah. I didn't uh, I didn't try to get in as a radio guy. And so I was just myself from the beginning, and that was good. But then when it came to doing radio full-time, I did f- what I did find was that every 15-second break or 30, or 60-second break, I felt like I had to get everything in the world in. You know, so yeah, it's yeah. like, it's like, well, yeah, actually, we were at the uh, Winter Carnival. Winter Carnival coming up Friday. And then, uh, and then also in the news, I saw that uh, Donald Trump did this. And then, and then uh, yeah, and there's a new car out. Tesla has a new car. It's <laughs> just like, holy smokes, <laughs> man. Lay off the caffeine. And, uh, and that's, that was the, the, the new guy uh, issue I had to overcome. And yeah. it was, you know, just being yourself more, uh, things that interest you. You got to talk about things that interest you too, right? And it can't just be stuff you put on or otherwise you think you got to cram everything into 60 seconds. It gives uh, a new respect for if you listen to, I'm not sure if you've ever been a Howard Stern fan, but I always have. Oh, yeah. Um, someone like him who sits for four hours and just talks. Oh, yeah. That's tough. Uh, yeah. Well, he's got producers too and writers who come up with, you know, the thematic idea for the show. And like, I mean, you and know, he's interviewing people, but still, he don't. probably did that in the early days all on his own too. Like he's yeah. just got that gift of, of gab and holding an audience. Yeah. I don't know if I could, I don't know if I could do that. It really, uh, depends on your co-host too. I got a great co-host on kicks and it's, it's, uh, that's what makes the, the show, right? Is the banter back and forth. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's other people, like I listen, I listen to a lot of talk radio, I always have anyway. Yeah, me too. And um, it depends on the subject, really. I mean, uh, not just the subject, but how the person engages. I always like those shows like Prairie Home Companion or Vinyl Cafe and things like that. Yeah. But they weren't, you know, just sitting for four hours and rambling. But um, there's certainly a show to it, a variety show of radio, if you will. And I always like that. But it's also how those guys told those stories, right? Yeah. Like, um, who is the guy, Paul, uh, 
the rest of the story. Uh, yeah. Um, I can't remember his last name, but yeah. like when that would come on the radio, and this is something you're taught in radios, every break should be your break and selling to the next thing so people stay, right? Yeah. Like, hey, coming up just after, you know, Dirk Bentley, we're going to be talking blah, blah, blah. And that was one one of those things, one of those tidbits on radio that I always, you know, you'd sit in your car in the parking lot and wait, you know, yeah. coming back after the break, we'll tell you the rest of the story. And then you'd wait because it was the way he told it too. Yeah. You may have even known about the story, but you wanted to hear what his take was. Yeah. So, yeah. Total engaging. Personalities. King. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I had some, but you can buy that. <laughs> I, I import Amazon, mine. I think. Amazon, sure. Comes in the mail the next day. <laughs> That's right. A new personality. A new personality. <laughs> Great. So we're rolling, obviously. We started chatting. Yeah. Uh, here with Jason McCoy. Uh, we've known each other for a long time. I was thinking on the way up yeah. how we actually originally met. And as far as I could remember, mm-hmm. the first time, I think I remember kind of meeting and chatting with you was at a Fairboard convention oh, yeah? um, in Toronto. That was my earliest kind of Well, memories. the first time we met, I don't remember meeting you so much, but yeah. we, was that before or after the Sports World thing? Because I, I did a couple of songs down at Sports World. There was Wendell yeah. Ferguson and, That's right. and you guys. And, yeah, and it would have been after that. Oh, well, okay. So, so. We, we played before we kind yeah. of officially met. It was yeah. so down at Binghamton Sports World in Kitchener. Yeah. So there was some show, and then I got to play a few songs on it. It was one of my first official gigs with a real band, and uh, and you were in the band. And then I guess we didn't really get much more than a high bye. And then yeah, because they they used to CKGL used to have this road show uh, in the summer. And that's it, right. It was Wendell's band, and yeah. then they would hire me as an extra guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, the weird thing about that uh, for me, I was hired as the extra guy from the radio station, not oh. from. Wendell or in the band. It wasn't the band hiring you. No. So the, the first time I went in was really... This is fine, but who's paying me? Yeah. You know? It was very uncomfortable because there was like, what, what is this guy doing here? Because they were already a, a put together band already, right? Uh-huh. And then the radio station just, I don't know why, uh, I think it was Vic Foliette at the time, he wanted me as an extra person for some reason. I don't remember. I but, like the fiddle. Yeah. So the first couple of shows because I didn't know those guys very well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was the first couple of shows we were, I remember, you know, you're, I was younger than them and some guy coming in to yep. play fiddle. It was like, it was... A I'm blue sure, fiddle at that. Yeah. Yeah. I still have that one. Well, there you go. <laughs> but, but it all worked out. Yeah. And I recall you had fantastic feathered hair and acid wash jeans. You know. <laughs> <laughs> That's because, hard to forget. Because I did too. Yeah. That was the style. Yeah, man. Yeah. You know, it's interesting having kids... My daughter's 12, and uh, and so, you know, the 80s fashion stuff is starting to come around again, you know, and, and oh well, it's in full yeah. swing. But, man, it's just incredible. She talks about some new fashion thing. I go, oh, yeah, your mom used to wear blah, blah, blah in high school, you know, and she's like, no way. And yeah. then and I'm trying to come up with all these 80s sayings, you know, and she's, and she's like, shut up. <laughs> Gag me with a spoon or, you know, all that stuff. She's like, nobody used to say that. I'm like... Yeah, they sad, think they were being original is, and everything's new. And it's like, no, it's the same crap we used to do. Same crap, different different time. Yeah. Yeah. So we're here at your house and you basically kind of grew up in this whole area most of your life, right? Yeah, menacing. So I was born in Barrie and uh, <clears throat> we lived in, uh, my folks would have been living in uh, probably 
oh, I'm not sure where they lived at the time I was born, but but soon after that, I, we moved out to uh, near Camrose, Alberta. Yeah. Edberg, Bashaw area, and uh, had a farm out there. And I was there till about seven or eight, and then we moved back here. So what made the move to go out there? <clears throat> That's a big move. Uh, my dad was in the bank, and uh, he also farmed. He came from a farming family, and then he... Um, wanted to get out of the bank. I, I don't know exactly why he wanted to move to the West and I don't know how they settled on that area, Yeah. but he, uh, they bought a farm. It was a fixer upper, you know, it was just a quarter section. It wasn't that big. And then, uh, he was in probably a couple or about a year into farming. And then he was in the bank doing something and he heard a familiar voice and it was a guy he used to work with at the bank in Ontario who'd got transferred out. Yeah. And he said, Hey Jim, do you want to work in the bank again? I need a guy to do whatever, you know? So he, he was back in the bank out yeah. there. And then, uh, and then they I was just talking to them the other day about this. Then, you know, the kids were getting older and they thought, well, you know, it's probably good to be around the family because they're all back in Ontario. So they, somebody offered them a bit for the farm and they, they did well on that and they moved back to Ontario and that was it. So um, it's always been this area though for me, Minnesing is where I moved back to and this is where I am now. So <clears throat> I'm in Minnesing, uh, Ant and Mills area and my parents are like a couple of thousand feet from here where I grew up yeah. and I bought this farm. I used to dirt bike through here all the time. And on this farm, the house used to be over near the woods. And I always thought it'd be really great. We used to dirt bike to this part of the field and look out at the view. Oh yeah. I thought, man, this would be so cool. If I ever had the chance, I'd buy this farm and put a house like right here. And it's great because I got to. Yeah. But um, So was then, it for sale or did you have to pursue it? Uh, no, it came up for sale. There was, yeah. there was a sign on it. I actually bought it from a guy I went to school with uh, right. and uh, uh, yeah, so I mean, it's just, you know, but it's, it's amazing how quick times change. Like, I mean, we bought it about 10 years ago and there's lots of farms for sale in this area. And now you can't yeah. buy one. Like, yeah. it's just, it just, that that wheel keeps turning and um, land's getting more scarce. So I'm really glad we got, got here when we did. Um, but this is home. You know, we have a place in Nashville that um, uh, my daughter was uh, born in Canada, but up till age three, she was living in Nashville. And yeah. then we had my son and we thought, ah, well, I think we want to raise them in Canada. Um, yeah, a lot of reasons, nothing in particular, but just a lot of things near family. Yeah. And so then we started building this. Excellent. Yeah. So when you moved back here, um, were you probably what, seven, eight, nine, you said? Oh, yeah. From the West. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. And when did you get into actually, uh, was it guitar? Was the yeah. instrument you got into first? Yeah. We had a uh, radio in the kitchen out, um, out West is where I started getting into it a little bit. Uh, we had a radio on the fridge and it would always play, you know, country music. And that's what my dad was into. I had one sister into Donnie Osmond, the other one into Barry Manilow. Oh, perfect. <clears throat> I remember my dad, you know, just going, oh, that's garbage or that's no good. You know, and he's like, Johnny Cash, that's that's real music. And I was like, yeah, you know, so, you know, being a little guy, you want to do whatever your dad thinks is cool. So, yeah. and it was ingrained in me. I mean, back then you'd go to school, you had cowboy boots and hats on when you went to school. You yeah. know, I remember coming to Ontario and thinking, where's, why doesn't anybody have boots and hat? like where what's the deal? Yeah, totally different, right? And yeah. it was where I lived was, uh, you know, definitely just farms. That's all it was—a small farm school, and and it was farm kids, you know. Yeah, and so that was in you, and it was all country music. So my dad had a uh, a little Stella guitar. I still have it, and it had a, a CFCW sticker on it. Yeah, <clears throat> this is pretty cool because. We'd go to the rodeo and like Pinocchio or any place like that, but CFCW would be the AM station that would give you the country music and the hog and feed report every half oh, yeah, hour, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, uh, and so it was pretty neat. And uh, then when we started, I started recording and got to visit radio stations. I remember visiting CFCW 
and Larry Donahue, who's was there for a long time, but not at that time, but he just retired recently. I, I remember meeting him at CFCW first and saying, man, when I was a kid, I had this guitar and this sticker and, and, uh, it was neat, you know, oh, yeah. going like, wow, I, I learned on my dad's little guitar and that goofy sticker. And now I get to hear my songs on that radio station. That yeah. was, that was a big deal to me. Yeah. It's funny how when you're, when you're young and you, you, experience these things and then when you get older you become part of those things yeah and it's it's like almost like deja vu happening to some extent i get those things every once in a mm -hmm. while where you're sitting watching an, an artist perform or something when you're young and then yeah. later on you end up working with them yeah and it, that's, and that's the weird those part. things are really bizarre yeah um but neat at the same time i mean the same thing as yeah. you know dirt biking through this land and, and yeah and then it, you're sitting on it yeah you would never think of those things no and uh yeah so i mean that's that's part of the magic of the music business sometimes and it's really been great to to myself and my family we've got to see the world singing you know i mean yeah. holy smokes who gets to do that you know yeah. and uh and then canada too it's it's like uh i don't know you read about these places and then you get to go there so um that is it's pretty neat yeah so when you started playing guitar were you just basically on your own or did you have a teacher uh, it was just me at first. So my dad had a guitar in the closet and had, um, you know, six six string guitar, but had only had three strings at the top. It had a G, B, and E. Yeah. And then that's all um, you. That's all you <clears throat> well, that's what he said. Because <laughs> there was all these other things. You know, at that age, you're like, I'm going to be a football player. I'm going to be a astronaut. I'm going to be a whatever, right? So <laughs> you know, it's all these things like baseball gloves that you know you buy and then they just kind of sit there or whatever, you know. Yeah. And uh, he said, well, if you can learn a song on those three strings, I'll buy you a full set of six. And, you know, so I did. I learned, uh, uh, it's the Tom Jones song, um, but Barbara Mandrell is who I knew it as. Mm -hmm. all, all, every pop song or any rock song, if it had a country crossover, I always learned the country thing. I never even knew there were rock songs, right? Yeah. Uh, that's how country I was. So Barbara Mandrell, uh, darling, I'm feeling pretty lonesome. Yeah. Call you on the phone soon, but, I, you know. Yep. So I learned that little one. And uh, so, yeah, he got me six strings and... And then I just sat there forever and just like, I didn't have to be told to practice, you know? Yeah. It was just something I really wanted to do. And I just loved it. I could sit there for hours and just pluck a string and listen to it or look at a guitar. And I just love the feel of the neck. And it's just great. I just loved guitar. And um, that's how I got into it. And then when I got older, I started taking lessons once we moved back to Ontario here. Yeah. It's funny. Everyone I've talked to that's been, successful in music all started you know obviously when they're young but the same thing it was the instrument basically consumed them mm -hmm. uh, and that's all they wanted to do yeah luckily back in those days there wasn't a million things to yeah to distractions compete. yeah like now it's certainly harder for someone to stay focused on when you've got you know the i think people do obviously <clears throat> um yeah well, it's there's advantages because you, you can go on now online and, and look and yeah. watch all these other people play and um, you didn't have though you just sat and yep. and just learned and 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 listened and figured it out. Yeah, there was a um, the learning curve was long and painful and frustrating at, at times. But yeah, with YouTube and stuff like it's it's so great because yeah. uh, even I I'm a professional musician and I'll go how do they how they play that lick in that certain song, you know, or what's that chord where you do the, you know, whatever. Yeah. And there's somebody on there going, this is how you do it. And yeah. it's that easy. And you're like, wow, that's, that's great. Or even equipment, you know, how, yeah. how do you get this proper thing before you'd have to, you know, I was playing clubs. You'd be like, 
you'd always meet that guy in that other band and be like, Hey man, how do you, you know, where do you put your overdrive and, you know, compressor? Like, how does that work? You know, yeah. it's like, Oh, I do this. And I learned this from a guy out and blah, blah, blah. And you it's hard, to- it's hard to say what's better. Right. It, Cause there's a part mm. that's so convenient to be able to look something up that you don't know if you're missing that step where that troubleshooting where you learn, um, yeah. you know, there's, there, it's good, I think both ways, but when we were younger, we just had to figure it out half the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's, there's some really smart life skill learning elements to that instead of knowing that I can always just go to the internet and look it up. Yeah. It's so disposable, right? Like mm-hmm. you might go, well, how did they do that? And you look it up, you learn it and you forget it. Yeah. <clears throat> like there is that too, but, uh, it's a, it's good both ways really. I mean, yeah. And I think creating nostalgia of, you know, oh, this guy taught me this, or this is how I learned this. Those things are, are, uh, you know, they're just creating part of your own little movie that are pretty cool. Yeah. I don't know. I like, uh, and I love the fact that my kids as well, <laughs> like my son, he's, uh, He's into like Panic at the Disco and Imagine Dragons and yeah. and all this stuff. And I'm listening to this and, and I'm like, I would never, ever listen to it, right? Yeah. I just wouldn't. I think it's cool. And then after I listen to it several times, I'm, you know, we'll, we'll be doing something and he'll put that on and it gets into your head and then it starts to, it can change how you write songs. You know, you get, yeah, yeah. You get little pop melodies in your head and makes you kind of rediscover music again. Because, you know, I've heard every country song ever, yeah. you know, and... Uh, I'm in radio, so I get to hear up to the second what's going on. Yeah. So there's nothing new under the sun, right? But then you get into his sphere of music, and it's like a whole new world again. It's yeah. Like, wow. Well, that's cool. I love the fact they're putting this instrument with that, and it's stuff I'd never normally think of. Yeah. So back into learning the guitar, and uh, when did this singing come about? <clears throat> was that just kind of came together? It was kind of one and the same is like all the guys I like listening to, they just happen to sing too. Right. I mean, and I remember my parents had a a floor model RCA record player, you know, had the radio on one side, the record player on the other side and the records in the middle. It was so cool. And, uh, I remember, uh, listening to records for hours and hours and I would, uh, lay under kind of near the bottom of it because that's where the bass was. You know, it's so cool. It sounded great. And I'd turn it on so loud that the bass speakers would, you know, fuzz out. They were really weak, but it was, it was cool. And I'd, I'd flip the records over and I was so enamored by, uh, the behind the scenes guys. So I wanted to know, uh, like who were these guys that played on the records and, and who wrote their own songs too, right? That was a big thing for me. I don't know why, but I wanted to know which songs Johnny Cash wrote and which ones he didn't. I'm like, who's Shel Silverstein, you know? And then you'd look over in this one. Oh, he wrote one over here too. And oh, yeah. so what does a songwriter do, you know? Yeah. Or or who's this guy, Fuzzy Owens, who worked with Merle? And you're like, what? Well, how come, okay, who, he worked with, uh, you know, Capitol Records. What, what does this mean, you know? And who's a producer, you know? So that stuff to me was uh, pretty cool. It was just as interesting as who Merle Haggard was. Yeah. Yeah, me, me too. I was very much like that where... There was a time where I'd be listening to a song and it'd be a year or two before I knew what the song was about. Right. Because I really wasn't listening to the lyrics. I liked the melody and I was mm-hmm. listening to it a little bit. You knew the, the lines and the chorus a bit. Yep. But then every once in a while you said, oh, I should really listen to this whole song all the way through. And it's like, oh, yeah. I didn't know this song was about this. Yeah. Because you were too busy listening to the guitar part or the Always. drums or yep. the mix and and the harmonies. And that really was the last thing I got to was the actual lyrics. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. hey, it, and everybody comes to it different ways, right? So yeah. I remember 
um, listening to, well, okay, the first time I ever sang in public, I've told this story a lot on stage too, was that I wanted to sing uh, at the Menacing Minifest here. I was just, I don't know, 10 or something like that. And so I wanted to sing a George Jones song. And I wanted to sing Wild and Blue by John Anderson. Oh, yeah. Because I had that, I bought that record, Wild and Blue, and it had swinging and all that on it. Yeah. So I was going to sing Wild and Blue because I thought it was so cool. And uh, my parents were like, oh, I don't know, you know, you're 10. And that song kind of speaks about stuff maybe you shouldn't be singing. And I was like, I don't have a clue what you're talking about, but whatever. Yeah. So <laughs> I just thought it was a cool song. And then uh, I thought, all right, fine, I'll sing a different one. I'll sing George Jones, If Drinking Don't Kill Me, Her Memory Will. So <laughs> that was the first song I sang. And this this is cool. I'll jump way, way ahead here. So we mm-hmm. we uh, bought a house in Nashville lots of years later, yeah. <clears throat> moved there. And the house backs on to the uh, uh, Woodlawn Cemetery. It's on Thompson. Yeah. And I'll never forget, I was... Um, you know, as a kid, I was just in love with George Jones. I had cassettes of his I'd go to sleep by, and I listened to them so much that it would stretch the tape. So certain songs, like I couldn't play acoustic along with them anymore because yeah. they were out of key. They were so stretched, right? So um, fast forward years and years and years, and I'm in Nashville. I'm working in the backyard, and behind me is a bunch of bushes and then a cemetery. And they were having George Jones' uh, visitation downtown or at the Ryman or wherever it was at the time. And I heard digging in the graveyard behind me and i was thinking like wouldn't that be really odd if it was george jones grave they were digging you know yeah so i walked back there and i'm like it was it was it was his grave so they're digging (laughs) i mean i couldn't believe like it kind of something it really was a strange awkward milestone right yeah i'd only met george jones once and uh, i've been to several of his concerts as a kid and, and even as an adult but it was so surreal to go, okay, I used to listen to these cassettes. I used to want to sing like him, all this stuff. And uh, been to the George Jones Museum when I went to Nashville when I was 14, you know? Yeah. And here they are digging his grave. So it, it was kind of an interesting uh, interesting milestone. Yeah, I, I met, <laughs> I met uh, George. I did a show with uh, Tommy Hunter. Um, it was uh, in Niagara Falls, the, the big show they have there every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I forget who was, I'm not sure if it was just us and George or there was someone on before us. But I was mixing uh, uh, Tommy Hunter's show. Mm-hmm. So it's a typical, you know, American situation where they came in, uh, it was in the round. It's just kind of a setup all weekend, things coming in. And they basically wanted everything changed. Now yeah. we're using all of our own gear. Sure. So everything had to come down, everything got moved all their own stuff. Final time they got uh, done, the sound check, people were starting to come in already. Right. So we got everything patched on stage and it was in the round too, which made it even stranger. Mm-hmm. So I remember uh, <laughs> running back, literally running back to the console as they were announcing Tommy to come on the mm-hmm. show. And I hadn't been to the front of house desk yet at all. Oh boy. So... And I'm trying to remember, it was a big PM3000, you know, back in the day when the consoles are big as this. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just grabbed faders, moved them all up, and we started. So I was head down into, you know, trying to dial in the mix for the first song. And I remember the first song going, and I hear someone yelling. And um, I was like, what the heck is that? And I finally look up. 
And the monitor tech for George had come from the stage up towards me and he's yelling at me. I was like, what do you need? <laughs> he says, pick up the comm, pick up the comm. And it's like, he was trying to contact me through the, the headphones. He wanted yeah. to talk to me about something. But I didn't see the light going off or anything. I was, and you're mixing a I show. I was busy. So he goes back and I, I pick it up. I said, what's the problem? He says, yeah, I, I want to let you know uh, at the end of the, uh, at the show, uh, the MC is going to be coming out and it's going to be on channel 32. <laughs> and that's it? And that was it. And I'm thinking, <clears throat> nice. you, you walked all the way back and yelled through the audience at me just to tell me that. I was like, all right, whatever, that's, that's all fine. Uh-huh. And uh, so the, we did our, our normal show. It was an hour. That's where we got contracted for an hour. Well, George wanted to go on at a particular time. Yeah. You know, he was there, and it said he was supposed to go on at 3, and that was like, I don't know, whatever, 20 after 3 or something. It's an afternoon show. And all I remember at the time meeting George, we're in the dressing room, and George is walking really angrily through the dressing room area of the uh -huh. arena, and he was like, Welcome to the Tommy Hunter show. And <laughs> just like walked through all mad. And he went up and did like, I don't know, four numbers and left. That was it. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> After setting up all his own stuff. Yeah. And it was just because everyone was working under yeah. what they're supposed to contract wise. But in his mind, someone had told him, you know, they're on at three, but now it's 20 after three. Right. Or something ridiculous like that. Anyways. Oh, my it was, gosh. It was a mess. But American headliner. I still remember uh, <laughs> I still remember that guy yelling at me from, you know, and there was a place that was packed. Pick up, up the gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just want to let you know that uh, George likes uh, red M&Ms. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, that's, that's the George <laughs> I'm wearing story. one sock. Okay. Well, thanks for filling me in. Appreciate it. Anyways, go back to... Uh, so when you did your the talent contest, uh, you went in that. So you, did, oh, yeah. you didn't really have, did you have a, a band or a bunch of friends that you'd get together to play with? Or are you just kind of on when your I own? When I was like 16 or yeah, whatever Yeah, you on your own before that contest or? No, I didn't have, no, I didn't. Actually, I didn't have any friends in the country community because when I was going to school, there was no country fans. You know, now you go yeah. to schools and it's like schools are full of kids who like country and it's cool. It's awesome. When I was a kid, I was... Um, or they just didn't tell you they like country. Well, that, like that too, yeah. yeah. They wouldn't back you up. You'd be at school. Yeah, country's awesome. Yeah. Uh, crickets. Yeah. But I was. I went to school in the heavy metal and the new wave era, right? So yeah. when that was going on, that big fight. <clears throat> and uh, I liked it all, right? Like I liked Duran Duran and, you know, uh, you know, I don't know. Wham. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. But no, I mean, I liked, and it was weird because I was a kid, I was listening to the production. I was yeah. like, I remember when... Uh, uh, Faith came out uh, by uh, George Michael, right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, I'm, you know, love him, hate him, I don't, whatever. But I was like, that that guitar sounds really great, oh, you yeah. know. And people are like, that song sucks. And I'm like, yeah, but the guitar sounds really great. And I, I just thought there were so many cool things and like that, uh, like the lead guitar and all that stuff. But even on the the keyboard stuff, I was listening to that. And then I had friends who were really into shredding and. Uh, <laughs> I was in a heavy metal band for a spell. Oh, nice. Yeah. Defenders of creation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, it sucked. Anyway, but uh, yeah, I had a BC Rich guitar. It was like, it was a powder blue, like a bat wing kind of thing. It yeah. was just like the stupidest thing ever. It sucked. It was like, they make great guitars. Like some of them are really good, but this one was just like the, oh, it was awful. Anyway. Um, but the checks. But yeah, <laughs> the girls I kept away were amazing. 
Uh, but I mean, there were so many great th- things, but I'd always, you know, these guys would be into shredding and playing really fast. Yeah. So I remember bringing Ricky Skaggs live in London to school on a cassette <clears throat> and I played them country boy. Yeah. And, you know, with shredding, you know, you do that finger tapping thing, which it sounds really fast, but it's not, yeah. you know, Eddie Van Halen. It's really great. And it's really hard to do, but it's not, you're not playing every little note really yeah. fast usually. So then I played them country boy and he's playing this on acoustic and stuff. And they're like, so is he, he's picking every single note. Yeah. Like, is that what he's doing? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> like that's, they're really doing that, you know, it's yeah. live. And so they were pretty, bl- I remember them being blown away at that. And I was like, holy smokes, that's really awesome. Right. But you know, country fans, it was just kind of me, you know, and then we went into this contest and, and Barry and, uh, I was, yeah, 15, 16, something like that. And I got a chance to record at a studio nearby. A fellow named Greg Beacock built it and owned it and got my first taste of real recording, you know. And uh, that was pretty amazing. It was, uh, you know, it's just guitar, vocal kind of stuff. It wasn't too much to speak of, but it was the first time. Did you feel, I know the first time I was in the studio, I it was hooked, like instantly, Mm. this is where I want to be. Um, I mean, it was fascinating um, yep. and it's a neat experience, but there was something about being in the studio that I could see that would really. Yeah. I didn't, you know, I didn't get hooked on the magic of it until uh, my second, like my, and then I got the chance to go to Nashville with uh, a guy named Ray Griff, who's written huge yep. songs. He's from Canadian, Canada here, Canada. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm tired. He's from Canada, but he's yeah. Canadian and uh, he's, passed away since but he's written all these huge you know country songs i grew up listening to right yeah so i got to do a record with him when i was 16 off that and then i didn't go back to nashville for a few years and i got to work with scott baggett who i still work with today but i'll never forget because he was like a he's such an enigma because he he grew up listening to um you know like uh t-rex and deep purple and uh uh you know like knows every Beatles thing. He was a rocker, right? And he loved rock and roll and he still is a rock guy. So the thing was though, he was from Atlanta and then he moved to Nashville. He got a job playing bass for Leroy Van Dyke. Oh yeah. So here's this guy who just like, you know, just always cussing about Nashville and all these old Opry guys, but he knows everything about it because he, he grew up as a musician when he was a teenager, he got these jobs playing for Leroy Van Dyke and Jim Ed Brown. And he's played with all of them. Right. And it was, uh, that was the first time I was in the studio, uh, really in the studio working with a guy. Yeah. And I never forget the sounds of like a, a real B3. You know, like he'd had a real B3 there and you'd have headphones on and you can hear the real stereo of it, you know, and just yeah. that real thing, the smell of a B3 running. And I'll never forget, um, <clears throat> you know, hearing, uh, we used a Mellotron, a real oh, Mellotron. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, these sounds are just like, it's like, it's like a storybook come to life. I couldn't believe yeah. it. And two inch, I mean, it was all tape at the time and there was something mysterious about that and the sounds of that machine, you know, the clunk and the yeah. cutting the tape and all that stuff. And so it was very tactile. I mean, you're doing something, right? Yeah. And so that was uh, the first time I was totally, totally in. The rest were like, this is interesting. I don't really know what's going on. Yeah. I'm kind of scared, but I think I like it. It's like kissing a girl for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I should be here, but I think I like this. Yeah. <laughs> Good analogy. <laughs> so when you went, your first album with Ray, mm-hmm. uh, what was that experience going down in Nashville like? It was, it was different. Um, 
<clears throat> Ray was, I mean, he was quite the guy. I mean, he was kind of like man about town in Nashville on a lot of degrees because he'd written all these hit songs. He was from the old school, right? Yeah. So everybody knew him. But I uh, had written 10 songs I was going to do on this record. He had somebody pre-program all the drums. Oh, yeah. So there was Even no... back then. Yep. There was no live drums on it. It was the Fairlight system, you know? Yeah. And it was all done. And I remember they had a, a guy who was the drum programmer was there on site. He was basically had this old Mac type computer, you know? Yeah. It looked like, it just looked like something out of Moscow now, you know, like big buttons on oh, it yeah. and stuff. Really weird. Yeah. And then we had all the musicians kind of sitting around in a semicircle and we just played to the, you know, got the key and just, we blew through it in like two days. It was really quick. And, yeah. you know, what you sang is what you got. And that kind of, it was just a really quick record. It was a custom thing and all that, but it was... It was a good, uh, a good start. Yeah, and actually, and then after Ray, I should say this: after Ray, before Scott, I went to work at Orchard Studio with Wendell and them. Oh yeah, and I did I think three or four songs there, and that was that was probably the start of me getting hooked. Yeah, I think Dave Ferry was the owner engineer. Yeah, so it was kind of neat because I'm like, this guy, like he lives right here and he's got a studio. Like, this, does this happen in Ontario? I, I had no idea. Yeah, it was so cool. And it was like a real studio. It looked like a real studio. And so I got to do that and that was neat. And that's, and then I got to work with Scott. So, so did anything uh, come from the first album you did? No, no, not that we ever need to bring up ever. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the odd time I'll still get people go, oh, I have, my mom has your first cassette or what? Oh my gosh. No, yeah. yeah. Give it to me. I'll burn. But my favorite thing I get now is, you know, you, you do a show, you know, you're with the hammers all the time and still, you know, busy and, You'll get some young girl come up to you, you know, and she'll go, are you Jason McCoy? And I go, oh, yeah, yeah. She goes, my grandma loves your music. <laughs> ah. You know, it's just funny. My mom loves your ex. Yeah, forget it. <laughs> I know at home at, at our theater, uh, every once in a while, someone will bring in a Walters family record yeah. from... 1978 or something like that, and they'll bring it to you. <laughs> And they'll show it to you like you've never seen it before. Yeah, yeah. Bet you've never seen one of yeah. these. Look, oh, I have 500 of them in the attic. <laughs> <laughs> Look what we found. Oh, great. Yeah. Where'd you get that? I got it at a yard sale for 50 cents. <laughs> you know, it's like, and then you feel even worse. And and actually, like, they said, great. just take it. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that great? They don't even ask for it signed or anything. They just want to show you, like you've, yeah. like I said, like you've never seen it. That's like, oh, that's great. Uh, yeah. Let's, let's I have 45s of mine. The, right. the first thing I pressed was 45s. Yeah. What? What? What was I thinking? Anyway. So what was the, uh, wow. going back, was the, the album with, with Scott, was that the first album that kind of moved the needle at all? It was, um, <clears throat> what I did was, I think we did four songs. Yeah. And that was, um, I can't remember all the titles, but uh, this used to be Our Town. Yeah. Take it from me. Two others, I don't think, got really. So, so what happened was... Um, I released those. I, I hooked up with um, a lawyer who was connected with MCA at the time. Yeah. And um, that was put out through MCA as a deal. Like if these do okay, we'll send them a radio, see how they do. Yeah. And if they start doing okay, then we'll talk about maybe doing something. So this used to be our town went to 22, I think or one of them went to 22 or something like that. I remember the number 22. Yeah. And then when it started to go a little higher than they started to say, oh, let's do something. So I actually, I finished a record. I remember, I guess Scott and I finished that record. And then we got funding to do um, 
the playing for keeps record that had Dixieland and all that on it. Yeah. So I'm getting my wires crossed a little bit, but that's, that's kind of what happened. So, and the Ed Harris was the guy who put that together. Oh yeah. Remember yeah. Ed. Yep. Um, so what was that like getting airplay for the first time? It was pretty cool. I was, uh, I was working at uh, Horseshoe Valley Resort just over here yeah. as a bellman. Oh, yeah. Because I don't, I, I, everybody says, oh, you're a bellboy. No, I'm a bellman. <laughs> it's the same goofy hat, but we're tougher. Uh, and I'd known all the maids there. You know, you're always, you know, in and out of the rooms all day, gathering trays and, you know, whatever yeah. you're doing. <clears throat> so you kind of all know each other. And they all knew I was a singer and I played in little events around here and stuff, right? So they'd always have the, the TVs on or they'd have the TV with the radio on. Yeah. They, for some reason, they were able to get kicks. Uh, you know, it was 104, I think, at the time. And they'd be able to get the local radio. Oh, no, it was uh, uh, C, was CKGL. Uh, no, that wasn't. It was... That's um, Kitchener. Yeah. That's Kitchener. Um, whatever. The, it was just the call signs. It wasn't even kicks yet. Yeah. But I remember uh, they started playing the record. And the first time I heard it was in one of the rooms. And I came oh, in and yeah. told the so-and-so mate, I was like, that's my new song. She's like, you're crazy. Get back to work. No. So I was like, <laughs> nobody believed me, right? And oh, I'm yeah. Like, Whatever. And so, and it's not like, you know, oh, you get your song played on the radio and then they give you a jet, you know. So yeah. A little lag time there. But uh, that was pretty cool. I mean, So I remember the first time hearing uh, the song on the radio. It was really neat. Yeah, it was in a hotel room. Yeah, it was in a, yeah, working. Yeah. Yeah, whatever, kid. Now pick up that tray and get back to the kitchen. Isn't that funny? You, find, <laughs> you hear it. Hey, that's me. No, it isn't. I made it. <laughs> Grow up. Yeah. So did you, uh, you were with MCA uh, for yep. that that deal. Yep. Um, and then the, the album with Dixieland. And that was his, uh, the one right after, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so looking back, um, you know, I always look back at, you know, you look at certain people's careers and you can go back, there's that one song that kind of, even though it may not have been a number one or whatever, but that one first song that kind of defines you as an artist. Um, yeah. Would that? D Dixieland's Dixie the one. Because yeah. we, um, so I wrote, uh, let's see, how'd this go? I wrote it with, I wrote it with Nisha Sheridan who went on to write Young for Kenny Chesney and yeah. had a number one with that. So Nisha wrote Jerk for Kim Stockwood. Oh yeah. <laughs> I forget what we we're doing, but he goes, we needed some rhyme for another song, something like, you know, work. And he goes, oh, I know every rhyme to anything irk because <laughs> I rewrote Jerk. He's yeah. like, I know all the rhymes. Anyway, uh, great guy and loved writing with him. And uh, so we wrote this little Dixieland thing. And then um, I'll never forget, I've told this story on stage a lot too, and it's true. Um, I was sitting around at a conference table in Nashville and we had a budget to record like five songs the next day. We we're going to finish this record. Yeah. And so they all wanted input into what we were going to record. And of course, they didn't have FaceTime and all that kind of stuff those days. So you put on a conference call phone and then you sit around and I'd play them a couple of songs on acoustic and... And they'd be like, yeah, I don't know about that one. Yeah, that's not bad. And then I played them Dixieland. I played a verse and chorus because that's all we had written. Yeah. And uh, they're like, yeah, that one. Let's do that one. And they said, uh, it's done, right? And I was like, oh, yeah. Geez, sure. Yeah, it's done. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course it wasn't. I had no second verse, no bridge, nothing. You know, I didn't even really know what key I'd do it in. So, um, so we recorded it and I just hummed through the, the verse and then I had a kind of an idea what the bridge would sound like, you know? Yeah. And, um, and then it was like, done on a Thursday and like Wednesday we we're going to be 
mixing it, you know, the next, it was so quick. And yeah. I called my friend Denny Carr and I was like, we'd written lots of songs together and, and it's like, man, I, I don't know what to do. I want, I don't want to piss off Nisha and, you know, can't finish the song and I don't want to put pressure on him. And I'm like, oh, and I'm freaking out. So I got all three of us in a room. We just finished it pretty quick. I mean, it's not bridge over troubled waters. It wasn't that deep, but, yeah. but you know, I was just under, under the gun. I had all these other songs to sing and I was just freaking out. So, and we uh, did it and it was huge. So the, the thing about that is we released it and then um, we got nominated for uh, CCMA yeah. for uh, SOCAN Song of the Year, I think it was. And it was up against Shania Twain, one of her big first tunes, you know. Yeah. I was like, wow, there goes that, you know. And it was funny because uh, Nisha, his wife Jen and my wife Dreen, we were in Ottawa at the time. And we were sitting there in the audience and... I didn't realize like if, if you're like one of two people in the category they think are going to win, they get tipped a little bit because they got a camera on you. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> I hate to bust award show bubbles, but I'm sure people know that by now. So maybe they have five cameras on all the nominees, whatever. So they had a camera right on us. And, and as soon as they read our name, Nisha and I both looked over and we were like, holy. And then we said something. And <laughs> it was like, you could read our lips totally, right? But it was on national TV. It was like, you idiots. So uh, anyway, and uh, we won the won the award for that. So it was pretty amazing. I was like, holy oh, smokes. Yeah. Like we beat Schneider. Are you kidding me? Like, holy smokes. That yeah. was, that was, uh, that was weird. So it was, uh, that was the first one. I was like, okay, this, this is getting real. This could happen, you know? And, um, and I've, I've never really had anything that, eclipsed it as a solo artist and had other hits but i mean that was the first one that was just like wow bam and it was gold record um so it was a pretty cool awesome thing to have happen it yeah it's neat when you go back and look at those type of songs anyone's career uh we mentioned john anderson or like swinging and yeah stuff, you know there'd be there'd be songs around it that, that maybe went higher in the chart or mm -hmm. whatever there was but there was always that one song that kind of did he, had a, say he it. had a huge career outside of swinging, right? But yeah. it's like, that's the one. Like, that's just what you remember. And it, and those are, I, I hated it at first. Like, for a while, I really hated it. It was like, I was like, ah, oh, you know, I, I don't even want to do that. I want to do more country stuff because it's more pop, right? And it's just yeah. never really what I really wanted to do. And then I got into, did the uh, Honky Tonk Sonatas. It was all like really country stuff. I was like, I love this. But then it's always like weird putting a set together. You're like, how do I do all this country stuff? And then where do I put Dixie? It's just weird, you know? Yeah. But then I, after a while, you're like, that doesn't matter. Like, I mean, I'm sure Jimmy Buffett, you know, doesn't have to do Margaritaville any anymore. But I bet you now he enjoys it more than he ever did because yeah. it's part of like, wow, that's, that's one little notch on your belt they'll never take away. And it's like, it had, I had a good little time with that. It was great. Yeah, you take probably all your songs that you've, you've done and all the singles you've had mm -hmm. and... In the show, there's probably a lot of them you 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 could probably leave out if you wanted to. Yeah. But I think Dixieland, it would be pretty hard to leave that out of a show for you. Yeah, and I, I, mean, I don't do a lot of solo shows anymore. It's mainly road hammers. But I mean, I've got a couple doing this summer, and a couple I did. You know, I do several things, and then I'm always doing different events and things that I'm at, and I'll do yeah. a couple of songs, and that's what I do. But uh, yeah, I just I enjoy it because it's uh, and it's also you know what's really weird about that song is that. Like, I mean, people, I'm 48, so people my age will remember that and a few a little younger. But, I mean, I'll get, uh, I'll do it and there'll be 16-year-old kids singing it. Yeah. Like, how do you know that's, like, that's that's an old song. It was in 98. So, how does that happen, you know? Yeah. So, it's just good that it's still, you know, some people still hear it. It's pretty neat. 
it's one thing I wanted to mention. It's neat about your career is that you can really, you can entertain uh, a bunch of teenagers um, as Jason McCoy or the Road Hammers, Mm -hmm. but you could also, you could go to the extreme. You could go into a local retirement home and charm the pants off. Uh, a bunch of elderly ladies in there. You're, is that really a goal? Do you really want to charm the pants off? Them? Well, yeah. <laughs> kick the shoes off, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Said, That's enough. <laughs> all right, there's a visual there. All of a sudden, I just went to. But that's neat about, there's not a lot of artists that could swing that far, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's pretty neat. I mean, I, I've, I've always known you as a, a great singer, but you're also a really great entertainer. And I think that really sustains your career a long, long time. Oh, yeah. You know, I think a lot of artists nowadays, or there's been, even when you started, they're the ones that weren't able to entertain mm-hmm. tend to kind of not last as long. Yeah, well, I, I've also, uh, I've never been an artist that, you know, like got signed to a record label and they did all these records with you. I did like one record with MCA. Yeah. And then and the, the deals I did were always, you know, we pay for the record and license it and stuff like that. It's kind of mechanical stuff of the business people don't maybe care about, but, but I've never been that kind of artist. You know, I just, I don't know why, but yeah. I've always been the guy who kind of builds it and kind of, if nobody else is going to do it, then I'll just kind of do it, you yeah. know? And uh, sometimes it doesn't always make for great uh, politics, but, but it always, uh, it's always worked out for the most part. But the thing about that is, is that's the same thing with the entertaining. Like I started out and I wanted to be like Dwight Yoakam, like, you know, so cool and, you know, brooding and all this kind of stuff. Right. And, and then I, you know, I used to think show had to be so perfect and what shirt you wore had to be part, all this stuff. And then the monitor would squeal and I'd be Mr. Cool. And then I'd get off the stage. I'd be really mad, you know, this sucks. And the whole, that show sucked and everything sucks and the world's going to end. And it's whatever. And then a couple of times started doing theaters, which is a totally different animal. Instead of just doing clubs, you're actually talking to people. And a couple of things would go wrong and I'd make fun of it because naturally I'd just be kind of goofy and funny off stage, right? Yeah. And then I'd make fun of it on stage and everybody'd laugh and I'd be like, oh, that was, that was fun. Like it was like I kind of broke this mold of, there used to be this compartmentalization of like I'd be me off stage, but then me on stage was a different guy. Yeah. And it was so flipping painful because... I mean, I wasn't having any fun at all. None. No fun on stage at all. And then all of a sudden, when I just started being myself, it was like, oh, this is, I enjoy this, you know? And other people are liking it too. So I'm yeah. just being myself. And that that saved my career. That completely saved my career because then I started getting asked to host things and do stuff. And now it's radio and these kind of things. But it also saved me personally from self-destruction because I, I couldn't have, I couldn't have just been, I couldn't, I can't shut up. So I can't just be this guy. I always wanted to be those cool artists that got on stage and didn't say much and just kind of sang your song and be cool. And it's like, I, I just, I can't shut up. I, uh, well, I was with you <laughs> through a lot of those times where yeah. you, uh, yeah. I remember lots of times you come off yeah. stage and we just have a great show. Yeah. And then you were just really that bummed sucks. out about something. That really yeah. sucks. Thinking, yeah. Why is it? Why is Jason bummed out about the show? Yeah. It was really great because I wasn't just like Dwight Yoakam or whatever. You know, yeah. like. It's- but I think that's, you know, whatever way you want to look at that, that was you wanting to be as good as you possibly could be, right? That's that, was, that yeah. was you working hard to, to want to make sure that the audience had, 
you know, a show that was 110%. Yeah. There, well, it's, it's half that and half just pure diva BS. I mean, there's, it all, it all comes down to, yeah, there's a bit of that too, but, and immaturity too. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm a really slow mature. Let me put it that way. <laughs> but, um, I always refer to my wife as my grown up. but, um, I, I don't, I don't, you know, like I, I can't believe I go to shows now and I don't really get bent out of shape about anything. Like, I mean, yeah. the monitor can be just uh, awful and it'd just be a fine show. It's like, and I see other bands, it's like, and I used to do this. It'd be like, um, okay, can I get uh, the keyboard up 10% and can we get the bass down 20% and, and pan it like a little bit to the right? And I'm just like, are you kidding me? Just turn it all up and do your thing, man. Like, I'm, yeah. And, and I came up in an era where the first band I played with around the local area was called Three Quarter Country. And we didn't have monitors. I didn't even know what they were for. I saw those other bands had wedges in the floor. And I'm like, I have no idea what that is. But, yeah. you know, and you just be singing at a Legion. And you kind of hear your voice bouncing off the back wall. And that's, yeah, it's fine. And in reality, going through all that stuff and touring and crappy systems and stuff, it, it makes you bulletproof. Because, I mean, there's, and you say, entertaining a high school to an old folks home all those awkward situations i was ever in and i didn't know this at the time but all the all the awkward things that made me mad you know you'd go oh that was so awkward and i look like such an idiot and all that i should have taken it in a stride along the way because all it was doing was just giving you the chops or giving me the chops to have some content to fall back on yeah and that's all it is it's just you know you get your little shtick together you find out who you are and you you roll with it. So I'm that guy. Whatever that thing is, that's what I do now. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just it's just a part of getting older, right? You just yep. become, uh, you change at one point where you, you don't care as much about certain things <clears throat> and more, it becomes more about... Fashion, that, obviously. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For me. <laughs> let's, let's just have fun instead of... Yeah. And, and not worry as much. And it's just becoming confident in yourself mm -hmm. to a certain extent too. I think, you know, that yep. happens when you're young. I mean, I think we all went through it or you just kind of, oh, sure. you really want, you worry more about impressing everybody else around you instead yep. of just having a good time. And that's a lot of that's just confidence. Well, every show is the one that's going to make you, you know, it's like, yeah. no, it's not. And it's also the other one is, you know, every mistake's what's going to break you. It's like, no, it's not. Yeah. It's like, it, just but still thing. again, I think, there's a, a portion of that I know when I was working with you a lot, uh, you really did spend a lot of time putting a show together. Mm -hmm. You know, there wasn't a lot of you know, let's just go up and here's a set list and yep. and everyone's winging it. There was a lot of planning. Let's do this at you know mm -hmm. during this song or let's all move up here or let's yep. all. Uh, and no one else was doing that. Um, yeah, and a little and a lot of that was shooting in the dark, but other stuff was. Um, and a lot of that came from rock and roll world too. Like yeah. I never listened to any rock till I was about 18 or something like that. And, but then when you started to see these shows and rock shows and stuff, like they way more dynamic than a country show. Yeah. And I used to hate it. You'd go to even big country shows. It was kind of a snore fest, you know, like <laughs> they didn't do much, but the songs were great. And the artist was really charismatic and that was the show. Right. Yeah. But I always, I always felt like there was more to do. Right. And that's why working the road hammers, it's fun because we're all kind of like-minded in that. We wanted to, make a, a show as opposed to just a, you know, four guys going up and just standing there. Yeah. And I think probably all those years of doing Jason McCoy led, led to that, right? Oh, you know? sure. Yeah. 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 Everything helps you go to the next thing. And really back, uh, in the strong McCoy days when, when you, you were touring a lot with that, there wasn't a lot of 
the extra production. There wasn't video walls. There wasn't right, yeah. uh, all these extra things that people yeah. rely on to make a great show. You had to, uh, you know, you're going to a festival, you're going to Craven, and then right after you is, who knows, uh, yep. Dwight Yoakam or Diamond yep. Rio or something yep. like that. And those guys were playing uh, every week mm-hmm. um, constantly. Yeah. And there was always a big difference. You know, you, you probably found, you know, the Canadian acts would come on and do their thing. And then the Americans would come on. And it's like, holy crap. And well, they'd be on a bus, so they'd be rested and showered. Yeah. <clears throat> they'd do 300 shows in a year and you'd do 12, you know. It's, well, yeah, and, they had advantage, you know, all the time. And it took and, you three days to get to the gig in a van and they're, you know, flying in or hopping on a bus. And it's like, holy smokes, they got their own gear. And, you know, it's just, yeah. it's really hard. But I think you acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. And you really wanted to make sure that you stood up to those acts. And, you know, I think, and that was kudos. I think mm, well, you thanks. really worked, well, really worked hard at that. We tried. And, uh, and then, you know, it's, it's, uh, I remember, um, lots of times, you know, uh, seeing us acts come in and I always thought it would be really great to get to the point where you had your own crew and your own gear and all that kind of stuff. But then I've also seen, uh, US acts fly in and just use, you know, backline gear and last minute show up and just plug and play and just nail it. You know, there's, yeah. and that's, and, and that only came from confidence, right? You know, and the yeah. confidence, and they obviously played a lot at the time too. So at times, you know, I had to remind myself it was just what it is. I think we were playing uh, Merit or something. I remember playing with you and, and Little Texas was on. Oh, right. And they lost, they had all their gear lost or something? Well, no, I think they, I think they, they had a Yamaha deal or something like that. Oh, that's right. right. And, they, and they just, they walked on stage and there's yeah. all these cardboard boxes of guitars. That was right, yeah. And they just ripped them open. And none and were set up. No, brand new guitars yep. uh, and bass and everything. They just grabbed the instruments, yeah. plugged them in and they did their set and they just dropped them and left. And it was great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's fantastic. Like, so, I still remember that. That's the bizarrest thing I've ever seen. I think that's a great way to travel. I know. <laughs> I tell you personally, I mean, we can make sure they were set up. That'd be great, but just it's disposable like, guitars. What type of deal is that? That's yeah. awesome. Can, uh, can you, I don't know, man. I do remember that. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, it was all the cardboard boxes, the shipping boxes. and the, <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah, that's, that's funny. Uh, so going back to going through, you know, all your your albums with Jason McCoy and, and then and finally got to a point where the Roanhammer's uh, idea popped in. Yeah. And uh, what what started that? What was the idea behind uh, the first initial thought on that? I'd just come off of uh, Sins, Lies, and Angels, and I didn't really have an idea what to do solo because I think the music landscape was changing at the time. I can't remember exactly what. It was coming out of the Mavericks kind of vibe, you know, yeah. and it was getting more into... Uh, I think the Mavericks, Mavericks were kind of winding up that cool thing that foster and lloyd that that vibe stuff yeah and i can't remember what era it was get, i guess it was getting into more of the bubba stuff the joe diffie and yeah um and i kind of wasn't quite that i kind of wasn't quite the camo kind of you know tobacco chewing guy and i wasn't quite the, the rock pop stuff so i didn't really have a home and then i thought um <clears throat> i always wanted to do like a uh, just I guess they call it a concept record and I just wanted to do a bunch of old trucking classics because I was going through my vinyl collection kind of figuring out what do I want to do and I had this uh, LP called uh, Diesel Smoke Dangerous Curves and it was all the best of the trucking greats you know mm-hmm. and um, and then I was talking to Ted Ellis at CMT at the time 
And reality shows were just a brand new thing, right? Like it was 05, I guess, 04, 05. And uh, I said, I want to do this record. And I thought it'd be cool just to kind of put together a Wilbury's kind of bunch of guests or I don't know. And he goes, oh, it'd be great if we could, you know, film you doing that. You know, it'd be neat to film that. And I thought, well, let's do, let's audition people and do like a little band or something, right? And then, uh, and the name, the Roadhammers, actually, Jason Barry came up with the idea for the name. How did he? I, I think it was, I think it was him or, or so I had, there was Brian Talk, myself, a uh, bunch of others. And we were down <laughs> this a few years before, but I was hired to do a, uh, a thing for Anheuser-Busch in uh, Bermuda, of all places. Yeah. My wife got to go with us and it was... Uh, uh, 40 minutes on the beach we played there on like a Friday night but they flew us in the Monday before and we got to stay on the Monday after yeah and it was amazing so then uh, were you on that no no I wasn't no. and we rented all these little scooters around the island so all weekend or all week long we had these scooters and we were this little gang and somebody kept saying like alright we're the road hammers we gotta ride you know yeah. I was like that's the coolest name ever the road hammers who comes up with that yeah. so I always put it in the back of my brain like if I ever did a band I should have called the road hammers or something so I can't remember exactly who came up with it, but that I remember Jason saying that like as well. And so we were all saying it. And then, uh, so anyway, uh, when we were doing this record, I thought, well, we'll call the band the Roadhammers, you know? So uh, and then we, Chris was playing in my band at the time, so I didn't really have to audition a bass player. Yeah. Scott Christensen was the drummer, and if it, he was going to be the first drummer of the road hammers but he was getting into working on these show productions being a producer of shows and he was kind of busy and doing all these other things so he couldn't really commit but he was in the first photos actually i got some of those are pretty funny and then um and then clay i knew about him because he had his band he was playing different things we played stampede together that year i think and he was playing one stage i went over and checked it out and so I was like, who's the most rock and roll guy? You know, so him, right? So the first time I went to see him, I went to show my wife. I had a bus at the time mm -hmm. and we were cruising down uh, 17th on Calgary, uh, in Calgary at Stampede and he was playing a bar. So I said, oh, Clay's playing. Let's just dip in real quick and I'll show you who this guy is that I think we should be in the Hammers. So, uh, so we go in and there's Clay with no shirt on and he's got a microphone, like a 30-foot cable, and he's crawling along the table, knocking these glasses off the table, and he's <laughs> he's doing something by, like, Iggy Pop or something really wacky, and Trine's like, nope. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, yeah, but that's... She, nope, nope, he's going to cost you a lot of money and lawsuits, and it's not going <laughs> to... He's, he's going to hurt somebody. Anyway, so then he... Uh, you know, we had him uh, audition on camera. We had a lot of guys audition, but he was kind of earmarked, I thought, as the guy. So it worked out really great. We went in and did the record with Scott Baggett and, and the rest is history. But, um, and I wrote, I'm a road hammer, actually. Uh, that was, that was on purpose because uh, I was sitting with Denny Carr, who I wrote uh, Dixieland with. And I was saying, okay, we're going to do this thing. And I think it'd be really neat if we were like the rappers because in, and the rappers of the day were doing this thing where everybody say their name, right? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm whoever, I'm 50 Cent or I'm whatever, you know? And it's like, that's their calling card. That's their advertisement, right? And so I was like, you gotta, let's write a song about the lifestyle. What's a road hammer? Let's define it. So it's like, that's, that's it. So we released that. That was the first single and it worked with the TV show and boom, that was, uh, the record debuted at number one. And, uh, you know, it was just, it, it wasn't quite real because of the TV inclusion, right? It wasn't, yeah. it, it was bigger than any of us could have ever planned. And then it just uh, snowballed. It was a, it was a challenge though, resonant. I remember. Oh yeah. Uh, I remember watching the, <laughs> you had the first 
few episodes on your computer. Um, we were touring somewhere. I think it was even in the East Coast or something. Remember, oh, yeah. you pop them open and 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 showing it and, and you know listen to your stories and going to Nashville and yeah, uh, you really really pounded the pavement for that. Huge, like um, like I wanted to get all these endorsement guys involved because I wanted all the people in the lifestyle of trucking to get involved. So Western Star, I remember, <laughs> like I had no idea what I was doing with any of these companies. So I just called up Western Star because I knew they were a Canadian truck company, and I was like, you guys, you know your trucks are awesome and we want to be the voice of your brand and all that stuff. Right. So I got hooked up with this guy in Michigan and he was like the, uh, he was like head of the paint department or something like He wasn't even really the marketing guy. And yep. then he got me hooked up with a marketing guy and they got involved a little bit and we started doing some of their corporate events. And then we did the mid mid America truck show in Louisville for their, for their booth and all that kind of stuff. And, and, it was a really neat experiment in trying those things because I, I always loved marketing. I just always gravitated toward, there was no such thing as just writing a song and hoping it did well with me. It was like, I'm going to write a song about blah, 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 and we're going to get a clothing company involved and I want to get a blah, blah. You know, I had to come up with all these ideas around it. Yeah. And I don't know why. I just like it. So that was a really great thing to do that with around the band because it, uh, it was so... It, it's a fairly limiting thing to write for the hammer stuff, but it's also a very liberating thing because it's like you don't sit down in a writing session and waste time going, well, I think I want to write this love song about this girl who moves out west. And, you know, or there's some, yeah. I got to write a song about the sky being blue. Like it's nothing like, it's like, this is what we do. Yeah. So does that fit or not? And you just write it and it's fun. So it's, it's, um, it's freeing in that way in that you know where the goalposts are. So there's no, no messing around. And you really, uh, you really had to open yourself up. Uh, you know, I, even with the TV show, uh, you really let a lot of people in to the behind the scenes stuff and your personal yeah. stuff. And sure. it was for anybody in the music industry, especially in Canada, there no one had a show like that. I mean, yeah. that, was, that was showing a side of things that no mm -hmm. one's ever really seen before. Um, now, it was neat. Yeah. You, now, you were working hard to get an American deal with that, too, were you? Yeah, we did. Yeah. Uh, we got um, signed on to Montage, which was uh, headed by Alan Butler, who used to head, uh, was it Arista? But he'd, and Sony, he'd come through that whole, that whole camp. But, I mean, he'd run some, he <laughs> drove some pretty darn big projects, you know? Yeah. And uh, so that was neat. It was, um, it, was, it was great in that we um, got the U.S. deal, after a bunch of showcases and stuff, we had a couple of offers, but you know, Scott Borchetta with big machine was one of them, but that didn't, yeah. I'm not sure what happened there, but it didn't go full deal, obviously. But, uh, he was a big supporter in the beginning. And then, uh, Alan Butler came to the table and you know, people have to remember it was, um, it was just as social media was getting its legs. So it was still MySpace, Right. Yeah. And there were a few bands that were, like the tractors and stuff like that, which were kind of, they had a radio hit, but they were still doing like kind of just cool festivals and they weren't like straight up, straight front door radio, right? Yeah. And we knew right off the bat that in Canada we were one thing, but we knew, no question, all four of us, and Corbett was a drummer at the time, Chris and Clay and I, we knew without a doubt, okay, this is not, we're not going up against Keith Urban here. Like we had no intention of doing that. Yeah. And the label's like, yeah, yeah, we're going to be a different label and we're, this is, we're going to, you know, we want to do all these different things and it's not about radio. We're going to go after radio, but, you know, that's not the focus. It's about making you guys a cool brand. 
And I'm like, great, like-minded, let's do this. So I'm signed on the dotted line. The second we did, it was like, okay, we have to start working on our radio single and, and, and you know, we got to, we really got to make radio happen. Yeah. And I was like, wait a minute, we, we just, we don't, that's not our, it's not gonna. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was just a year and a bit of, of just, you kind of know it's over as you're starting and yeah. then you're giving it the college try and it's like, this is not, this is not where we want to be. Cause all we did for like a year, no word of a lie was, uh, even longer actually was, um, you'd fly into like, um, a town in the, in the morning. Uh, you would do a lunchtime performance in a boardroom for you know, one of the big radio stations, like Cumulus, I guess it was, or whatever, yeah. one of the big networks. And then, you know, They'd be like, hey, you guys are great. That was awesome. Are you going to play us? <laughs> no, of course not. But hey, thanks for coming. And then you'd do like an evening dinner with yeah. a bunch of guys and they'd drop a boatload on the programmers. And then you'd go do a show uh, at, you know, you'd drive three hours and you're an hour and a half and you'd go and play their thing that night. And then you'd wake up the next morning and you'd go into the morning show at the station across the town and at like four or five or six in the morning. Then you'd hop on a plane around noon. You'd go do an afternoon thing. And you just... You're doing three things a day for radio and yeah. you're just, you honestly don't know which way's up. Yeah. Like you're living on Starbucks and crappy food and there's no sleep and you're in a van and you're on a plane and you're just like, you're just punch drunk and you're doing that six days a week. And the same questions over and over again. Same question. And it, you yeah. know, it gets to be, it got to be muscle memory. I mean, you're standing and, and that's another thing that plays into that, how to entertain. Cause I mean, we're rocking in a boardroom mm -hmm. at two in the afternoon. These people are being pulled away from a busy like, I have to get this account done. And it's like, well, you have to come hear this band with long hair in the studio. Okay. You know, <laughs> and they're all sitting there and you can tell the ones are just like, and you just play and you're like, yeah, I know you guys don't want to be here. So we'll yeah. just, you know, this is what we do. And, and you have fun with it and we're able to entertain. And and if you can entertain in a beige boardroom, then then you're doing all right. And we yeah. were. And, but, you know, we had four really great, strong personalities that could do that. And uh, the, the montage team were great. It just, it, the leadership was just, uh, still old school. It was just like, okay, you have to go through the front doors of radio. Yeah. And now you see bands like the Cadillac 3 and things like that, which is what we wanted to do in 05, 06. I mean, that's, and we knew that. Yeah. And that, that's one thing I'm really proud of is that we, we knew exactly what we were and what we wanted to do. We just weren't able to uh, get that Rubik's Cube to all be the same color on each side. And, and it just didn't happen. But, but um, we still have pockets of fans down there and we still do shows, you know, a couple of three shows a year where it's yeah. like, oh, wow, this thing really like us in Wisconsin. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. You're just yeah. as big as cheese, eh? Do you think, <laughs> obviously, the Road Hammer's been really successful, but do you think, looking back, it was too early? Or <clears throat> do you think, you know, a few years later, now that the change with, the internet and all those uh, social media things. That we've it, talked about this and yeah. I, I don't think it's one of those things like, you know, you, don't, you, you don't go know. through life. It's like, Oh, you can't have regrets and all that. And you can't, because if I were to retool it, I'd say, Oh, well, you know, it'd be great to come out now, but no, because when we came out, we were really cutting edge sound wise yeah. compared to what was going on on radio. Like we were really rough around the edges and all that. And now we're not, or we, you know, our stuff then bring it now. It's like Eric church is way more rock and roll than we were. Yeah. Uh, but at the time we were, yeah. you know, and so that gave us a little boost and, you know, it's, uh, and our live show too, it was, it was way more rock and roll than any other country yeah. band at the time. Um, little Texas would have been our contemporaries and, you know, they weren't, 
outrageous on stage, right? Yeah. They were just had long hair, you know, yeah. and that's about it or whatever, you know? So no, I don't think it, you know, it was one of those things. It's a great time that happened and we still are touring and still recording just now. So it's not, yeah, I don't think you can, you can't, you can't retool the past, right? Yeah, exactly. The, the hammer thing started out, um, as a concept record just for fun. And I got into doing, because again, back to that whole marketing thing, right? I started researching how many truckers there are. And the commercial uh, vehicle industry, or I was going to say truck industry, but it's more than that. Like people who drive for a living, mm-hmm. any size of vehicle is the number one employer in the world. Yeah. So whether you're a pizza driver or you're an Uber driver or a cab or a truck or whatever. And so uh, I was like, this could be great because this is that's what we wanted the hammers to be, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, Paul did Convoy. Like, that's our thing, you know. But we didn't even think of doing the song Convoy. It wasn't like he stole a song. Or, it wasn't anything like that. Yeah. It was just for TV. Yeah, I remember there was something yeah. like that. And that now it makes total yeah. sense now. And you know what? We, we uh, this is funny, okay? The hammers have never recorded Convoy. We've never sang Convoy. Yeah. But we get, we just, we did a show in Arkansas and it was for uh, Burt Reynolds' uh, funeral. Yeah. Somebody recreated the Cannonball Run from uh, Texarkana to Atlanta, I guess, whatever oh, yeah, it yeah. is. And we went down to play for this convention thing. And there are all these, you know, Smokey and the Bandit fans and everything. And they were like, make, make sure you play Convoy. You know, like, but we never, oh, okay, sure. <laughs> so we learned it for that. But we get requests like that all the time. Like, make sure they play Convoy, eh? But we never did. Yeah. Well, I guess it's almost, a, <laughs> they, you know, it's such a big song. It was uh, a huge song. Yeah. And it was like, I, I'm such an idiot for like, that's the one song we didn't do, but we could have done it on a second record, but you know, Paul, yeah. Paul did it first, but, and he should have, because he did it great. I mean, it was awesome. But um, it's funny that those things happen. People get something in their head and it's just like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But we never that's did. That's not our song. Yeah. That's not. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yep. So now, uh, as Jason McCoy, is there any thoughts of doing another Jason McCoy album in the future? Or? It's interesting, you know, like, yeah, certainly, you know, I'm 48 and I'm like, I'm again, I'm not going up against the Keith Urbans of the world. And, and it's interesting. I've been writing and recording some stuff and, you know, I'm kind of dipping my toe in the pool here and there and threatening to people to make them produce something for me. But, uh, I, I do want to. I don't know what it should be. And this is a lifetime struggle. You know, that's with me yeah. and, and everybody who knows me and probably every artist. It's like, I don't know what to do, you know? Because being in radio now, I really don't know what to do. And, and the reason being is because anything's possible at radio right now. So if that makes any sense to you, it's like the doors are wide open. There's no limitations. And I'm sitting here going, I don't know what to do. Yeah. You know, I, it doesn't really matter what age you are to some degree. I mean, it's a way younger format than it's ever been, the Kelsey Ballerinis and, and, and all that stuff. But there's also lots of other people on the charts who are like Kenny Chesney is older than I am. Yeah. You know, I know he's been around a long time and, and all that. I have too, but a different scale. But I, if I put a record out, I don't want to do something that's going to be a, like a ride off in the sunset record and I'm just doing it because. Yeah. I want to do something that's cutting edge and cool and, and relevant or something that's completely way off from the left that's just for me and I don't know what that would be. So I don't really have a plan right now. But I, I am writing and it's getting closer every day that I would do something. I'd certainly do it. I don't think... I have no intention of doing anything that's 
uh, kind of half-assed. It's got to be awesome. Yeah. I just, I don't have any, it's not. Well, it's not your style to do something. I guess, but I, 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 I've got a, I've got a, I've got a nitpick it and minutia it to perfection and kill everything. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I, I just, I, I hear our church, right. And I get really excited about that kind of stuff and all that stuff. Jay Joyce does like, I really like it. It's awesome. And Scott Baggett's a lot like that too, where he's just kind of, he's like, he's like a mad scientist in his lab and everything's kind of Frankenstein-y and it's like, it's neat because he's creating all the time. It's not just like, well, here's a song. We're just going to put it out on the charts, right? So, yeah, yeah I'd like to. I guess a long, long answer longer. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to. We should. I yeah, think, uh, I think it'd be think, fun. Yeah, I think it'd be great. But I've been writing, writing lots. So. And what about the Rone Hammers? Any? Uh, yeah, we're actually just making plans to. We've got uh, three tunes right now that we're getting ready to record and it's a different process now recording because it used to be hey we're gonna book a studio and track drums and blah 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 and yeah a couple of these tunes we've already done demos on so we have the drums we're gonna use those drums because we like them then we're gonna upgrade all the other tracks and re-sing it and all that kind of stuff and yeah. some of the stuff has drum loops and it's pretty much done it's just you know and some of them aren't for radio right like we got a few that you know it's really we're gonna be pushing more spotify stuff or whatever you know yeah. and uh we just released that Zamboni song. We were doing a contest with Tim Hortons and all that jazz, a hockey song. And, and you know, we're always doing stuff. There's always something. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting because it just, the wheels just keep turning, right? Yeah. There's always something new to do and always something different around the corner. And I always said I'd never be 48, you know, still doing this, right? It's like, yeah, I'm going to retire and, you know, get, get, a, get a grown-up job, right? Yeah. It's like, I'm telling fart jokes on the radio and then making up stuff that rhymes in the afternoon. Like, come on, it's just, it's what I do. I got to, I'm finally at 48 facing the fact that I might be a musician. Yeah, it's possible. <laughs> it's possible. I might be a musician for a living. It's kind of weird, but it's hard to say out loud. It's yeah. It's kind of weird. Cause you, you grew up and you're a musician, singer or whatever, but in, in your mind, you don't really consider yourself that right. Or you're, you are, but you, it's hard to define yourself. Someone asks, well, what do you do? And it's just sort of like, well, um, play guitar, sing, well, I got this, I got that. And, well, you, know, you. You're, mm-hmm. you're a musician, you're a producer, you, you got the, uh, the show with the barn, you know, the, the, whole, the yeah. whole farm and event center, you know, you've got uh, stuff, you're doing radio podcasts, you're doing all these things. And so what do you do? Well, I'm in the music business, you know, it's like. Yeah, that's it, generally what I say. I'm in, in the music industry. Yeah, and leave it at that. <laughs> Isn't it strange though? And but I've never really considered myself a musician, and I don't say that out of trying to. This isn't trying to put myself down, but I'm not, you know, like a guy like Paul Chapman, guitar player extraordinaire. You know, like yeah. he, he's a musician. I mean, he's a musician. You're a fiddle. You know, you're a violin musician. You're certain people have their things, and mine was always a means to an end. You know, I'd learn licks to be able to do what I need to do to entertain. So I, I say I'm an entertainer. And then I get to put everything under that. So I, and songs for the most part for me are a means to an end as well. So I, I get, I write a song, I learn to play guitar and, you know, buy some cowboy boots so I can entertain because that's what I like to do. I was going to tell a story. I was thinking about different things on the way up here. Uh, God, I don't remember the year. It must have been. Do I want to hear this? Yeah. When, <laughs> when we went down to the NAMM show in LA and then we went up to Bakersfield. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if people don't know this, it was actually Oildale because, so Bakersfield is the home of uh, Merle Haggard and Buck Owens, of course. So these are my idols. So we went to the NAMM show in LA or where was it at the yeah. uh, convention center? 
Yeah, I'm trying to remember. It was downtown at that time, I think. Yeah. And uh, so we go and, uh, you know, I, I think we both had uh, short frosted tip hair and, yeah. you know, pleather jackets and, uh, you know, uh, fancy shoes and jeans and all that. So go up to Bakersfield and then and then more than that, just to see Buck's place and all that stuff. But then more than that, we wanted to go to Oildale, which is where Merle used to hang and live and play. So we go to this really rough club. <laughs> <laughs> And we go into this place and all that's there is like, you know, plaid jackets and guys, you know, chewing tobacco and spitting on the plywood floor. And, 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 uh, they, there's a band playing, right? With a cool yeah. country, like dyed in the wool country. But band. it was after, it was still like, it wasn't even evening. It was like, it was like after, Tuesday at four or something. Yeah, it was like, yeah, everybody's drinking warm draft and cussing, you know, and, and, uh, this one lady comes over to us and she, she was pretty sure that we were boyfriend and boyfriend. And, yeah. and we're like, wait a minute. And then, so we, we took off our jackets and hopped up and played every Merle Haggard song we could. <laughs> it was like, yeah, we're manly men. Rrr. Ignore the frosted tip hair and the Aston wash jeans. I know. It's, it's either, either we're going to get the crap beat out of us <laughs> yeah. or else we're going to go up on stage and prove the good that we're boys. men. <laughs> That's right. And we did. I know. And we did. <laughs> Yeah, I think about that every time uh, I go down to the, the NAMM show. Like, oh, I remember that time. Oh, man, it was great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. So your radio stuff uh, that you're doing now it's, it's <clears throat> came about. What was, uh, I know you were mentioning earlier, you were you were doing a lots of radio kind of fill-in spots yeah. on the road and that, and then uh, the whole kicks thing came about. Yeah, so I, uh, a friend named Peter down in, in Rogers uh, in Kitchener there, they asked me to uh, sit in with uh, their afternoon show, and I did that for a month, and it was great. And at the end of that, they offered me a, a gig, and I just couldn't move, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, they weren't, they didn't define what the gig would be, but they had a couple ideas and some things they wanted to do, right? So I would have had to move to Kitchener. I just couldn't. And it was really hard to turn down because I really wanted to segue into radio because I, I like it. Yeah. You know, and it was a steady gig and it was, it's fun. And it was a big company. So I'm getting all bummed out and, and I come home and I'm telling Trine. And she's an eMERGE nurse, right? And so she works at uh, the Midland Hospital about 30 minutes away. So she's, uh, she's you know, kind of sitting with me and she's like, well, you know, there might be another opportunity, but too bad, you know, yeah, you, you tried it and you, we just couldn't make it all work and that's fine and, you know, whatever. So it wasn't a few days later, she goes into work and it was a night shift and uh, Paul Larsh owns, uh, owned uh, two kick stations, one up in Sudbury, Aurelia, and then he has uh, two dock stations, Barry and Owen Sound, mm -hmm. and uh, Midland and Owen Sound. So anyway, she gets a, Call down to one of the rooms. Somebody got bit by a Massasauga rattler. They were up at their cottage. Walks into the room, and it's Paul. He's got a snake bite on his hand, you know. And uh, so don't get too many of those, right? Mm -hmm. And Trine and I know Paul very well, him and his wife. And anyway, uh, so she's treating him, and uh, and he goes, is, uh... oh, sorry, before we get into this, I, I came home, and I was all bummed out I couldn't take that Kitchener gig because uh, Jack Latimer had been at Kicks forever, you know. And I was like, he's not going anywhere because he is Kicks, you know. And there's yeah. Jack, and... But what a great gig that would be because it's right near the house here and, and I'm a big Kicks fan and they've always supported me musically and it's like yeah. a family, right? So I was like, oh, what a, what a bummer. So she's in, she sees Paul in there. She's working on his rattlesnake bite and and, uh, and he goes, so is Jason doing any radio or would he ever consider that kind of thing? Or She goes, oh, yeah, he still does. He was just doing something. And he goes, yeah, because, well, Jack, Jack wants to retire and we were wanting to ask him. We just didn't know if he'd be interested in doing that kind of thing. <laughs> So I was like, what I? So I went in and I, I sat with uh, Jack and Carrie. I did Mondays with them for, uh, 
Oh, well, close to a year I'd do every Monday oh, yeah. and uh, learn the ropes from Jack. And then, and then uh, just, just a year ago, so it was Valentine's day. Uh, he retired. And so from September to Valentine's day of that, uh, of that preceding year, I was with them every day. So, I mean, uh, talking about learning from the best, I mean, he's the smoothest ever yeah. and uh, <laughs> just knows everybody and everything about radio. So, and then Carrie, uh, my co-host, who's been with, was with Jack for many, many years. Uh, she's probably, you couldn't have a better co-host because she's been doing this for many, many years. And uh, she's engaged, like not just on the national level with the music and all that kind of stuff, but the local stuff. She's just all about it. And I have a, I have a hard time sometimes connecting the stories with what I should be talking about on radio and that. But she's just she just finds a vein and goes for it. And then I just follow her and it's a it's a fun show so that must have been a a, a tough transition with sleep oh up my early. gosh it's still it's, tough yeah. it's the hardest part is um <clears throat> like i mean i got i whine about getting up early and i've actually stopped because you know it, it hit me one day when i'm going up to tim hortons at you know four in the morning going i i can't believe i have to get up that early there's this poor girl behind the counter has been there all night yeah you know, and you start talking, you're all in the same kind of early morning club, right? So I get talking to her and she's like, oh yeah, I leave here and then I'm working on my school after, you know, this and during the day. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to shut up because, <laughs> you know, it's, I got a great gig and um, it is early, but there's, I always said to Trine, even, even when we were younger, like I love getting up in the morning, but I have to have a reason or I don't, you know, Yeah. now I have a reason. I'm a morning guy. If I'm told okay. I, you know, if you said we have to get on a plane at 5 a.m., I'd, I'd be down at the airport at three, no problem. Yeah. But if I don't have to, I sleep in the whole time. So, and um, it is a little hard on the body, though. I'm starting to get into a bit of a, a bit of a different clock reset. The thing I find that's that's hard is at nighttime. My kids are getting older, and their ambitions, are, you know, go into the eight o'clock, nine o'clock range. You know, yeah. and I'm a potato at that point. So, yeah. I'm out at seven thirty eight. I'm starting to fall asleep. Yeah. So yeah. I got old man syndrome, you know. <laughs> but it's. Uh, is it's it a great gig. Must be difficult when you get to summer and doing lots of festival gigs and, and up late. But I guess once you get on that drive, you, you're, you kind of kick in a little bit of an adrenaline. But at be, times, yeah, it's, it's, you know who pays for it is the family because I'll do the show and I, invariably with the Hammer shows, I'll take off from the show on Friday. I'll go to the airport and we'll play a gig on Friday night, Saturday night. And then I'll come home Sunday. I'll get home in the evening and then I'm up at 3 a.m. on Monday. And then Monday afternoon, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I'm just a total jerk at home because right. I'm just like, who put their shoes there? You know, it's yeah. just, it's like dad, you know, by the end of the summer, it's, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm getting, getting uh, crazy. But it, that lack of, that lack of uh, uh, sleep is really, it's tough to take. Yeah. So two kids. Yeah. Um, two dogs, two kids. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like being a dad, like. What's it like? Yeah. Ah. Uh, well, when there's up to a certain age, it's great because you're, you know, you're 10 feet tall and bulletproof. And now my daughter's 12 and I didn't realize how stupid I am until she told me. <laughs> <laughs> she's, uh, the problem is they get so smart so quick. Yeah. But um, yeah, she's starting to turn into a teenager. So, I mean, she's definitely getting a bit of attitude and stuff, but it's, it's, it's still great. And it's... Um, Do you have any music uh, ambitions uh, we, at all? We force them to practice piano. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> so that's one of the things we've forced upon them because I think it's great. It's a good discipline. Caleb is uh, pretty natural at the uh, at the music thing. I mean, as far as groove goes, him and I have written a couple little songs together, and yeah. um, he's just got a ear. Where he'll sit at the piano, he'll monkey about and have fun, and um, they both have a good beat. Grace can play; they can both play kind of drums, you know. Um, Grace is uh, really good at creative stuff but on a more of a bigger level she'll want to write a play or she'll want to yeah. you know make up plays and direct it and you know so i either say she's going to be a, a, a director of a theater or a dictator of a small country one or the other yeah <laughs> she'll probably take over a small country but um but she likes to to organize and do and i see a lot of me and her doing that it's like yeah. she doesn't just want to you know create a play she wants to get all her friends in and then we'll make flyers and we'll do you know that kind of stuff so she yeah. likes to create in a different way that's cool um a couple more questions for you mm. um out of all the things you do um if you look back over the years if you just had to pick one thing out oh, of boy. uh all of them you say okay now you can't play the guitar you can only sing right, or you right. can only write or you yeah. can only record you can do you that question. all those things if you stripped everything and say you can only pick one thing what do you think that one probably songwrite yeah because you can um it's like being an actor right you can slide into anything you can write a heavy metal song or you can write a country ballad or a pop song or whatever and i think that's and that's also a little age resent, resistant too right like i mean performing is is a kind of a young person's game in a lot of ways and uh guitar playing is you know a little age restrictive because you know sometimes the fingers don't work like they used to stuff like that right you hear of guys i mean not me but you hear older guys talking like this <laughs> and uh but songwriting is one of those things that you know like i mean paul mccartney's still writing songs you know and they're yeah. still pretty cool tunes right and uh and i think as well like i the thing i like about songwriting is it's almost like lyrical tetris or linguistic acrobatics like it's like a little sometimes writing can be real serious kind of stuff with deep lyrics and that, but a lot of times it can be just fun little twists of phrases and stuff. I love those double meaning kind of things. And you pick more of those up as you go along. It's like picking up, you know, burrs across the field or something. As you go through life, you've got these little sayings and stuff, you yeah. know, like a guy down in Nashville, right? With a lot, Phil O'Donnell. He's from Canada, but he, he swear he's from, from Nashville, Tennessee. He's just got that accent now. He's been down there so long. Yeah, He's got all these funny sayings like, uh, Oh man, I was trying to figure out my telephone. I was as confused as a chicken watching a card trick. And I'm just, <laughs> you know, or, or it's like, man, you play that chord, and I'm just sitting here looking at you like a calf looks like I can, looks at a new gate. You know, it's like, how do you pick those up? And that's just life. You know, you just yeah. got those sayings, and I love those twists of phrases that we come up with with stuff, and it's fun. I, I just, it keeps your keeps your chops up when you write more. More you write, the better your chops are at you know, just twisting those phrases and messing with linguistics and it's fun. Yeah. Uh, as far as performing, uh, you obviously performed a lot of places uh, all over the world. Uh, do you have any on your bucket list that you you st still would like to perform? I know you've done the opera uh, and different things, but uh, yeah. is there any any venue or any place that you always wanted to perform at and haven't yet? Uh, you know what? Not a specific venue probably, but I would really like to... Um, you were talking about recording and all that. I'd like to record again to give me a means to an end, like a reason to play theaters again, because yeah. uh, with a few years under my belt now with the hammers and all that, and I'm kind of itching to do acoustic um, 
three piece kind of acoustic storytelling, like just a little bit of humor and, and just nothing big and fancy, but, but a really great three, four piece acoustic kind of thing. I, I don't know why. I don't know to what degree or what reason. I don't care if it's a hundred people or a thousand, like it doesn't matter. I just really would like to do a run of X amount of dates every year and just say, okay, this month you always, always do that. And I really enjoy that. So if I had, I've waited a long time to, to figure out what I really enjoy in the performing world. And that's exactly what I like. And I don't care if they're fancy theaters or they're uh, community joints or what, like it's just fun. And I like yeah. to meet the people in the town and all that stuff that I didn't really stop and smell the roses doing before. And um, I really enjoy that. That would be fun. I've got an idea, idea for you. So we'll chat after. All right, great. <laughs> <laughs> Let's make a plan. Um, so looking at Jason McCoy, five, 10 years, do you look that far out? Oh yeah. Actually, mm -hmm. that's one of my problems as I lay in bed at night and make plans and plans and plans and plans and plans and plans and, plans and then I worry. And then my wife says, go to bed. Uh, so <laughs> I, I guess uh, I try to shut that off now because yeah. when I do that, what happens is I'll go, I'm going to write this song about such and such. And then I'm going to have to see if I can get a certain marketing thing involved like that I was talking about. And then, and then we'd have to go on the road, but I think we'd have to work with such and such artists. And then, and then I do all these venues and then I want to work with such and such. And then radio would have to, and then I go like, yeah, but that won't work. And then I unravel the whole thing and go, yeah, it's never going to work. <laughs> so, so if I stop that and I just try to work on what's in front of me and go, well, that's a really cool song. Oh, yeah. you know, we should get so-and-so to play a guitar on that and just let it unravel like it's supposed to. You know, what's happened most of the time in my life is it does okay. Like it never really hit yeah. the ditch. It's okay. Let it go. Like some don't turn into hits. Some do. Some don't see the light of day. Some do. But when I over plan like five, 10 years, it never works, you know, because I couldn't have predicted the best things that have ever happened to me. I didn't even see coming. Yeah. And that's the same with all of us. You don't, you can't plan on certain relationships or you're still being alive or still doing what you love to do. And that's, I couldn't have predicted being in radio. And it's, yeah. it's been a wonderful thing. So um, I try to work toward it, but I didn't say, oh, I'm going to be a morning show guy at Kicks. You know, so I want my own radio show. It's, it, it wouldn't have happened because I would have maybe planned wrong or tried to force it. It's so, those always fine. It's like those 10-year cycles you go through and all of a sudden another 10 years go by and you look back and say, wow, I'm doing something completely yeah. different than I thought I was going to be doing. Yeah. As long as I get another 10-year mm -hmm. cycle. Yeah. yeah. It's neat. It's neat. Uh, well, it's been a great pleasure chatting. Thank you. And uh, I look back, uh, uh, I'm not trying to figure how long uh, I played fiddle in your band, but it was <laughs> several years. It was and, about five years. felt like 50, though. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, 40, maybe. <laughs> no, it was it, it's neat. I look back and, and there was a lot of steps that happened to me. And I, I think role managing, uh, kind of stepping up into that role was first time was with, with you. Oh, really? Um, I just remember. Sorry, just, man. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and then it, since then, I've, you know, that's been a big chunk of my life is yeah. advancing shows and, and, and producing your own shows. I mean, you yeah. have all the time with the family, but I mean, that's, that's, that's just in your makeup. You just, you're an organizer. Uh, yeah, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I look back and there's a lot of fond memories and, uh, yeah. I love, there's a lot of great shows we did and I really, really enjoyed it. And, and, uh, I'm really happy with where you are in your career. You've done super, oh. super well and you well, seem thanks. like you're in a great place. So yeah, it's been uh, good. It's yeah. Been
Yeah. Well, thank you very much. I had a lot of fond memories too. And it's, it's, it's amazing. And a lot of friendships that started so long ago and it's, it's part of your life, you know, it's pretty, pretty wild to still have those. Yeah. And it's kind of neat, you know, and I think this musician world was where, you know, uh, I haven't seen a whole lot of you over the last bunch of years or you've been doing your thing. I'm doing my thing. And, but then you can, you can step right in. That's amazing. Like it's bang. Yeah. Yeah. And it's six degrees of separation. You kind of keep in touch with people through others as well. Yeah. It's like, oh, I just went and I saw Darren at such and such. Or you're just talking about how you were at Aaron Pochette's show, you know. Yeah. We're talking about musicians we all know. And it's, yeah, it's one living, breathing family you get to stay plugged into. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so people want to stay in touch with, with Jason. What's the yeah. best way to, to find out what Jason's oh, doing? Oh, I don't know. Probably Facebook or Twitter yeah. or Instagram. Okay. Yeah, that's sort of the best. I mean, the website, jasonmccoy.com. But I mean, it's really, I mean websites or what they are it just redirects you to twitter facebook and yeah. instagram they all say the same thing just whichever <laughs> one you want biography well when he first changed the world with his soft velvety voice <laughs> oh wait no that's not me wrong, <laughs> wrong jason mccoy that's right yeah all right well, it's been a blast and thanks again Thank and you, Darren. uh we'll chat real soon right now thanks, thanks.